Welcome to the guest house. I'm Sean Perel. I'm an integrative therapist, a yoga and meditation teacher, a lifelong student of the thesis of our belonging. And I'm also a parent and a fellow human being grappling with many of the same questions that you may be grappling with too. In these conversations, I'm turning to some of the folks I most admire, and together we're exploring the complexities and also the creative potential of being human in an era of radical change. Thank you so much for being with us. I've been thinking about the transition into the new year and how it can bring up for many of us questions about how we're relating um, authentically and skillfully to our lives. And it's a time of year when a lot of people kind of come into this place of wanting to be more intentional, more aligned with what matters most. And um, I think it's also a time of year where we can touch into our desire for more um, courage and vulnerability and impact in our lives. Um, and so my guest today is Brooke Esten. Brooke is a certified brand strategist. She's a TED speaker. She's an artist and a designer and a podcast host. And she's founder of the internationally sought after design studio called I Know a Gal. Brooke describes herself as a creative amplifier. Her genius zone is in helping people unblock their creative energy and channel it strategically. In addition to working with social entrepreneurs, coaches, freelancers, and artists, Brooke has also worked with all of the globally recognized big logos like Google and Ted and Disney, et cetera. The list goes on. I'm so happy to have Brooke with us here today at the guest house. I have worked with Brooke personally, and I don't know that the guest house would exist, or at least that I would feel as supported in taking creative risks in my life at this point, were it not for the support, the ushering, the therapizing <laughs> that Brooke has um, brought to my life in over the past year or so of us working together. So I'm so excited and I'm so grateful to share our conversation with everybody who's listening. Welcome, Brooke. Thank you so much, Sean. That was a beautiful introduction that masterfully sort of brings in my like professional bio with the more heart-centered, intimate, creative alchemy type work that I most identify with. I'm so excited to have you. Um, to share, to just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and share a little bit of your philosophical framework and your, you know, process um, in working with your clients. I mean, it really is that creative alchemy. It's mm -hmm. identifying what are the elements that are essential and releasing the things that aren't so that there can be focus, so there can be an opportunity to build momentum. And then it's a very intentional weaving process that I'm guided by, honestly, it's, it's really a feeling of resonance. And in your case, because it's, it's a personal brand, it had to encapsulate you. But how do you do that without some type of creative process? 
I don't look at branding as something dry and boring and trying to fit you into who you think you should be. But instead, for me, it really is almost like a creative doula process mm -hmm. of some sort of like, how do I pull in the elements that are most significant and important and resonant and then reflect that through visuals? Because if the visual is void of meaning, then it doesn't have that power. And it's an intangible thing. That's why it's in the creative space. It's not something that just gets produced and like checks off, you know, the the boxes. Like it's it's a deeper, more intuitive, emotional, spiritual, collaborative process. And that's how I see my work. That's how I see all of my work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that shows up in making a logo or a website. Other times that comes up in developing a, a viable business model for you. Like what resonates with you? What's your vision of how you want your life to be? Because if you can access those parts inside you, which I can't do, that that's not, I don't have access to that. I can only offer um, thought provoking questions and and share the reflections and the, the pattern recognition that I'm I'm able to do to offer that back. And from there, that's where the magic can really happen. You know, comes across in the visual branding website. Yeah, sure, fine. But also comes across in the deep exploration that we do internally to excavate those, those pieces of us that want to be expressed and doing that in a way that also is a viable business. Your story is never lost on me. And I think it's such a good one. It's worth sharing. You were born in California. You were raised in Thailand. You were educated in the UK and you live in Spain. Your life is in Spain at this point in your life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I'm, I, so I was born in Northern California and I lived there till I was nine and I had never left California. Like my, all my memories were like my house and my school and a little bit of daycare. Like my life was not very sophisticated pre nine years old. My parents had never even been out of America. And when I was nine and my brother was seven and my parents were in their 40s, all four of us got on an airplane and went to Thailand for what we thought was going to be two years. I was really excited because I felt like I was in a, an epic story. It felt like some kind of hero story that we were doing something that nobody else had done and how exciting and how cool. And so I was riding that high. And then when I got to Thailand, the reality of being a new kid in school struck me. And I had a really difficult adjustment socially. I, I felt very American living in Thailand because I've got very fair skin, light eyes, curly hair, big nose. Like I don't look Asian. <laughs> Nobody would mistake me for being Asian. And so when I moved back to America, to go to university because I did my first part of university in the US before going to England. And I had really intense reverse culture shock because mm -hmm. I, I identified as being American. And again, I felt this like really low energy of being other. I felt other. And it was almost more intense because I, I thought I was American. I felt American. And then when I came to America, I was like, well, I definitely don't feel American. What is, what does hella mean? Very? Mm -hmm. Like, is that what that word means? Like I was trying to translate slang and all of this, but I, no part of me felt Thai. 
So I very much identified with this concept of being a global citizen or a third culture kid as, as we're called. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know how, how to understand that or how to weave that in as an advantage. I just mm -hmm. felt othered. And so it took me finding an international community before I recognized that this was a superpower. And the superpower that I had been able to develop was I didn't have the same kind of culturally dominant perspective because all of my friends were mixed ethnicities. I grew up in, like when I learned about what Americans call the Vietnam War, I learned about that as the American War because I was in, like I was next door to Vietnam. So that's not Vietnam War, that's American War. So a lot of these like different perspectives were just normalized for me. And I sort of viewed the world as this cultural kaleidoscope, which I think helped me develop my ability for pattern recognition mm -hmm. um, and understanding like there's a lot that's different here, but what are the themes and how do I identify that? Mm -hmm. And then I had an incredible opportunity when I was in San Francisco from my grandmother who said, hey, you're, you're changing your major a lot. You're really struggling. I changed my major five times in four years. I was just like, <laughs> I could not make a decision. I was a double major. So that's like a whole other thing. And my grandma said, you know, you have a third cousin or something like that, who's doing something with technology and international relations um, and computers. I don't know. He's doing something. He's in, in San Francisco. You should talk with him. So I went to go meet with this cousin person and he was building what turned out to be a unicorn startup in San Francisco that was the merging of these principles of social business and microfinance in particular, microloans and consumer culture. Mm -hmm. And they were building what turned into Kiva.org which was a platform where essentially you could give microloans to entrepreneurs in developing countries so that they could have enough working capital to buy an asset that then they could earn their way out of poverty. And so that is the thing that, that I followed throughout all of my career was how do I use business principles to make the world better and make people feel empowered and activated and an expanded sense of what was possible for them. For me, this is the heart of what creativity really is. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get bogged down in a false definition of creativity. Like when you ask someone, are you creative? Do you identify as being creative? I'm more often than not met with resistance and desire. It's this interesting combination of, oh no, I'm not creative, but I wish that I was. And when I go deeper and think, well, what do you, what do you think creativity is? It's revealed that it's, it's fine art skills. Right. It's, can I paint? Can I draw? Can I dance? Can I sing? Can I play an instrument? Like it's a skill that anyone can develop the same way that you literally develop any skill. It's just repetition over time. But we have this narrative that in order to embrace being a creative, you have to have fine art, creative, skills, which keep people in a place where they reject their own creative nature, which is so much of what we've been talking about, identifying 
patterns, seeing opportunities, weaving something together, creating something that didn't exist before. And I think one of the things that I, I, I think is really interesting is Ed, that, that that's sort of implicit in what you're saying is this idea of excavating, as in yeah. looking back on our lives and looking how at how our creative instinct, like our essential sense of creative expression has been, you know, looking for its channels throughout our lives. And that yeah. may have looked like, you know, in lots of different, taken many different forms, right? But I think what can be daunting about the notion of creativity is like, it's a blank slate out in mm -hmm. front of me, right? It's a blank mm -hmm. canvas. Oh my God, that's daunting. What does that yeah. mean? But, yeah. but I think, you know, this sense of excavating as in looking looking for, looking at all of the ways where we can recognize that the creative force was flowing through our lives is yeah. so powerful and such a empowering reframe. So, and I think, I, and I agree, I think we get creativity wrong in our culture so yeah. often. We conflate it with productivity or perfectionism, or as you said, fine art skills, or we treat it as something so elite and elusive and accidental, mm -hmm. um, like available only to the gifted. Yeah. And yeah, and I and recently I was reading um, Rick Rubin's book, which of course has just kind of like yeah. become this phenomenon in the past oh, year. Yeah. It's the Creative Act. Yeah, and I wanted to share. I pulled a quote to share with you here because I thought it was so in alignment with what I understand as your approach to working with creativity. Yeah, he says living life as an artist is a practice. You are either engaging in the practice or you're not. It makes no mm -hmm. sense to say you're not good at it. It's like saying I'm not good at being a monk. You're either living as a monk or you're not. We tend to think of the artist's work as the output, but the real work of the artist is a way of being in the world. Yes. Oh, so such a yeah. master. Yeah. Yes. So 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 tell me, you know, more about your um your treatment of creativity and how you hold space for people, you know, discovering what it means to live a creative life. So what Rick Rubin is talking about and the, the process that I take my clients through is, yes, eventually there comes an outcome, but the outcome is almost spontaneous or easier and more accessible if you fully embrace the process. And the process is going deeper into the internal and finding that root of of your own essence. The place that I start with my clients, with my work is going down to that place of when you were a child, before you had awareness of other people's consciousness, before you had sensitivity to other people judging you, how did your creativity express itself? So understanding at that time, if you go back to that time, it's so interesting. People's definition of creativity, they can access it. It's incredible following that thread into today, into the 30-somethings, the 40-somethings. Like that nugget, that essence is the same. Like I, when I was younger, I used to love to perform. That was my big thing, singing, dancing, whatever, anything that just like put me on stage and, and gave me the intention. And now I'm a speaker mm -hmm. and I have a podcast. It's a very different expression of it, but I feel that same like 
tingly, magical, like sense of I'm bigger than just my body. So the thread goes all the way through. And part of my work is helping people, helping remind people of what they already know and they already have a connection to. It's just weak and starting to atrophy. And so by re-strengthening that, then we can use that as fuel to be able to create the tangible things, which is, okay, if that's the essence, how do you write that in copy? What does that look like in its visual expression? What customer experience or client experience creates that sensation, that feeling of flow? But you can't do that and have the outcome be meaningful and impactful and resonant without doing the inner work, which for me starts in that creative seed. I think this is such a powerful invitation for reflection because we're not, it's the reframe of the question from are, are you creative to how are you creative? What is the distinct yeah. signature, like the distinct flavor of your creativity? And I was recently, um, I saw the documentary American Symphony with mm -hmm. um, John Baptiste and yeah. Suleika Jouaud. This, these are two artists in their own right. Um, they're a married couple and they, in the documentary follows them through a year of just like unbelievable ups and downs when uh, Suleika was going through treatment for leukemia um, while concurrently her husband, John Baptiste was being like nominated and awarded with all of these um, Grammys and and it it one of the things that's really beautiful about it the the documentary is that it really illuminates this idea of survival as a creative act. Yeah. That and I think about um, childhood experiences and how many you know kids um, living in adverse conditions for whatever you know whatever the circumstance that creativity becomes this navigational tool and such a powerful form of resilience. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's, it's really beautiful. And I think that it, again, as we kind of look at the renewal of a new year and also just look around at the world, you know, and go, if we're subject to feel, you know, despair that actually our creative selves are an illuminating, you know, voice, it's a voice of hope within us, like not an if, but a how. Yeah. And you use this language of creative recovery. Yeah. Um, that I, 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 I want to, I think it's really interesting because when I was first, you know, kind of familiarizing myself with your work and I heard this term of creative recovery, I thought, huh, that's so interesting because implicit in this term is the sense that creativity is often something that needs to be recovered, right? Yeah. Or, or reclaimed. How can a person, like, how do you support your clients and how do you recommend people encounter themselves in this inquiry of creative recovery? The first part of that really is learning to reconnect with that younger version of yourself and be able to give yourself the things that were robbed from you at that age. Because when I because I, I have a, a podcast also where this was the origin of of the podcast was stories of creative recovery. Mm -hmm. And I started to notice a pattern with all of the guests that there was a severing of their creativity right around the age that they started school. And 
one of two things happened. Either they expressed some of what was interpreted as the gift, right? You're, you're really good at something. And that can cause envy in your peers, which then can lead to instances or moments where, you know, you're given the message, sometimes not very subtly, that you need to dim your light because it's making people uncomfortable. This is not safe for you. Or somebody is worried about you because of this myth of creativity. If you choose to be a creative, we understand that as being an artist, which we also understand means suffering and pain and probably not successful because either you're like the best of the best or you're not even on the map. There's, there's nothing else in between. And so it comes from this place of self-preservation. Like I want to be safe. I want to be safe in my community. I don't want to be triggering people. I don't want to call too much negative attention to myself. Like I just want to be safe. And so that's where the rejection of that creativity starts. And with everybody that I've talked to, it's in that, it's like always under 10, usually around five or six. It's like that time when they step in where they're given the the message, this is not a good thing for you. You should probably let this go. So what I do to help my clients and, and what I would even suggest for the listeners here is identify your moment. And chances are just listening to this, you're already recalling your moment something you haven't thought about in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Like you can recall when someone said you're too good or you're not good at all. So the first step is to go back to your younger self. This is probably where you have even more expertise. This is the the inner child work. This is going back to that that younger version of yourself and saying there's nothing wrong with you. This is beautiful. Like, let's embrace this. Let's call this forward. This is not something that should trigger shame, but this is something that can give you power and expansiveness and possibility because we need our imaginations. This goes to what you said about the hope, right? If you can't access your imagination, how can you have hope? Hope for what? For something you can't see yet? You you have to imagine that in order to be able to attach that hope to that vision. And in order to develop a vision, you need an imagination. You need a sense of possibility. And that comes from that creative spark in all of us. So I'd say the first step in that process is reconnecting with that wounded child in you and in giving yourself that love and encouragement and enthusiasm for you starting to exercise that creative muscle. It's something powerful about um, what we are taught to prune or to repress within ourselves. And it it brings me to the study of neurobiology because creativity is not housed in one part of the brain, right? It's actually a conversation between at least two parts of the brain. One is the default mode, which is really just where we make spontaneous new connections. It's like when we're in a state of flow and you know the imagination opens an expanded state of consciousness, which I think you know is is really the reality of the kingdom of childhood, right of the of childlike yeah. consciousness or the beginner's mind encountering things and just allowing you know ourselves to sort of merge with a imaginative consciousness. 
And then there's the executive control network, which is basically what it sounds like. It's that part that judges which ideas are good, which are ideas are, you know, supporting our survival and our, you know, thriving and it prunes the ones that aren't. And so for a person, the more that those two parts are really in vital connection with each other, the more expressed a person's creative capacity is. And as we get older, yeah. I do think that that it, it refines into more of the artistry of our lives, right? Where, yeah. we, where we we're building the sort of scaffolding for our creative lives. And it's also that reclamation work is about going back and noticing, oh, when did I, when did those, these parts become imbalanced? And I, for whatever survival reason, kind of leaned more into that executive control network, a, a sort of mistaken um, sensibility that that default creative imaginative flow part didn't matter as much. I think so, so much of this comes down to sometimes stuff that seems really boring or lame or the things that people are like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard that before. But right. in order to access that part of you, and if you imagine right now, like imagine the brain, imagine a brain scan where you can see all of these different parts moving, you need energy for that. So how do you raise your energy? Mm -hmm. You take care of yourself, mm -hmm. you get enough sleep, you drink water, you move your body. Because if you're not sleeping, if you're in toxic relationships, if you like hate your job, good luck accessing your creativity. Like it's just not available. You don't, you don't have the energy to be able to do that. So the foundational pieces of basic self-care is like take care of your vessel so that you can access as much capacity as possible of what's capable, what you're capable of. Mm -hmm. And you need energy in order to activate that. So it's important that you learn how to manage your energy. And depending on where someone's at in their journey, like if someone's dealing with burnout, it's a very different thing than if someone's dealing with, you know, improving the, the processes and the flow in their business so they can liberate more of their time right it, it depends on where you're at the prescription is going to be different depending on what ailment you're suffering from but in essence the remedy for that is to get back to your essence what are the basics what's the foundation because if you're trying to build something on a foundation that isn't solid that's really risky so self-care and and like the physical body is an essential part of laying that foundation so that you you can start constructing a scaffolding that then evolves into something else but you know it's not just going to crumble because your foundation is really weak and shaky mm -hmm. i'm reminded of uh, brian eno he said um that creativity is gardening it's not architecture and there's so much just in that like what do you have to do to garden? You have to like make sure that all the vital ingredients, like the soil is rich and there's sunlight and there's all the basics, there's water, right? And we're weeding, we're doing what we can to take care of the vitality. And without this yeah. idea of like having the entire thing already built before we started, which I think is really a setup yeah. for burnout. Yeah. Or building the wrong thing that you end up resenting. 
And I know a lot, a lot of people come to me because they're like, I built the thing and I kind of hate the thing. Yes. Like, is this my life? Did I, did I make this? Like, how did this, what, what series of bad decisions did I make that this is my reality? And so they're, they're needing to recalibrate to that North star and that North star, like the, the makeup of that North star is this internal essence that we've been speaking about. And you have to know that in order to identify your compass because your North Star, like nobody goes to the North Star. It's a, it's a tool for navigation. It's not a destination. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an essential part of understanding creativity, that it's, it's an experience. It's, it's a tool. It's not the final thing. So on a practical level, how do you help you know, people reorient, recalibrate towards their own North Star, which I think also is connected to this idea of like getting through their creative blockages. The practical ways that I help clients really is asking thought-provoking questions, holding space while they respond, and offering potent reflections about what I'm seeing in their response. And in my experience, it lends to people feeling seen and accepted and encouraged. I mean, I know we're using the, the metaphor of, of excavating these roots in the garden, but for me also, it almost feels like there's an ice that starts to melt. The ice that is around that creative seed. Like it, it starts thawing and you get a sense of what's possible beyond that. And in my work, because I'm, I'm mostly at this stage, I'm mostly working with entrepreneurs or people who want to grow a business. Then we start translating that into exploring different business models. Do you only want to work half of the year? Are you like a seasonal person? Great. Let's design retreats or cohort based something or evergreen or whatever, like all these different things that can support that. Are you introverted and you don't really want to spend a ton of time interacting with other people? Okay, great. Let's talk about content creation and what that looks like for you or information products. Or are you an extrovert? Do you just thrive in interacting with other people? Okay, great. Let's set you up with an in-person experience or a mastermind or workshops or whatever. Like really identifying what is the thing that activates you the most and then how do we remove and get rid of all of the weeds that are distracting and blocking and stifling and sucking energy and like get rid of all of that so that we can very intentionally plant only the things that we want to see grow. And that's, that's essentially the process. And depending on, are we doing strategy? Are we doing brand identity? Are we doing coaching? Are we doing website building, course building, experience design? Like it's going to, shake out in a slightly different way, but that essentially is the path that we follow. It really is a therapeutic process and it's yeah. a process of self-actualization. It's really powerful. I, as I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm reflecting as, um, as a therapist and also as a parent and mm -hmm. as a friend. And I was thinking about how we, that like the runaway species, that idea of we are a creative species, we're also a yeah. social species. Yeah. And so it is so powerful to have the reflection and to provide, you know, reflective recognition yeah. um, to those around us. And I'm kind of in this interesting reframe of like, 
sometimes rather than kind of asking these hard questions about my own creative essence, it's easier to just look at one of my kids and start helping yeah. that kind of process of really um, like holding space for their creative essence. It's such a, a virtuous, yeah. really positive sort of cycle in any you know, system, whether it's a family system or, you know, a professional environment or any relationship. It's like we we can do this work of supporting each other in raising the vibration of our liberated creative selves in our lives. And in yeah. in so many ways and for so many people, um, that is the the place that you are that you're holding, that you're really supporting in the world. And I'm just so, so grateful to be a part of it. Thank you. So is there anything you would leave us with as like just an invitation for somebody who's hearing our conversation and going, okay, what can I do next? The first thing is intangible, which is accept that you are creative. That's the very first thing is it starts with identity and it starts with the story that you tell yourself because the story you tell yourself is what's going to shape your perception, which then shapes your reality. So start there. And then the second piece is find small, seemingly unimportant or irrelevant acts of creative expression. Dance. Like if you, if there's a song that comes on somewhere, like move your body if you're feeling it. Play. Play as much as you can. Play with yourself, play with other people, board games, escape rooms, you know, those city scavenger hunts. Like, anything that just allows you to get back in touch with that joyful, playful part of yourself. But if it feels intimidating for you, do it in a place where the stakes are really, really low. You don't have to go start your creative business or start working on your masterpiece that you want to, you know, sell to some Patreon or whatever, like start with these small acts that can help you strengthen the relationship with your creativity. It's just like meditation or anything like that. You don't, your first time meditating is not in a silent Vipassana retreat, right? It's two minutes with a timer, sitting in a chair without your legs crossed. Like start with where you're at. And then as you build the muscle, it gets easier. It feels better. And you start to see how that practice will start permeating all of these different areas of your life. It's the, the meditation for mindful living. It's these small acts of creativity, especially through play, that then lead to novel ideas, that lead to a, a deeper connection to the sense of hope that things are going to be better than they are right now. This is where it starts, is developing that muscle makes it feel like there's less effort when you want to use it for something bigger. I love it. I feel inspired. <laughs> Yay. That's what we want. That's, yeah. that's, that's the feeling. That's the essence. Well, and then, so for folks who feel really inspired, what are the best ways to, you know, have a little bit of Brooke magic in their <laughs> <laughs> lives? How can people connect with your work? Yes. So, I mean, everything lives on brookeston.com, Brooke with an E. So there are two E's there. I'm also on Instagram at Brooke Esten. I have a podcast where I go deep into this. And these are the types of conversations I have. And I typically invite other 
creatives or, or professionals or entrepreneurs to talk about this in the context of entrepreneurship. It's really the intersection of creativity, entrepreneurship, and personal growth. My podcast is called The Art of Lost and Found. And then, yeah, if you head over to my website, we have some a little special gift for you that Sean's going to put in the show notes. So we have some free offerings to just support you in this journey of reconnecting and amplifying your creativity. Thank you so much, Brooke. I feel like the creative reset of a new year is such a vital time in nature to bring ourselves more fully into this, this inquiry and invitation of what does it mean to express ourselves creatively in our lives and to be in touch with our creative essence. So thank you so much for the conversation today and for all of the accompaniment and support and inspiration and expertise and encouragement that you have brought to my life personally. Such a pleasure. I, I reflect all of that back to you as well. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening today. If you find value in these conversations, here's how you can support. Become a subscriber at seanperel.substack.com and please rate, review, and share your favorite episode with a friend. I leave you with an original song written by Serena Joy Bixby for all of us still learning what it means to be human. Is it love? Is it hate? Grief or heartache or what does it mean to be human? Is it tears? Is it laughter? Is it not knowing? What comes after? What does it mean to be human? Well, I'm sure I don't know this life.